Now, some people like ads, some people don't, and that's okay. But we like to keep everyone happy. So if you're one of the people who doesn't like to listen to ads, choose the Dave McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts. And you can listen to this podcast just the way you like it. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is time for the podcast. But first, a quick message on the conversation I'm going to have with Naomi Klein on the 29th of September in the RDS. Those tickets are on sale now this morning at Kilconomics.com. So Kilconomics.com is the website. Look for tickets for Naomi Klein. Those tickets are on sale. Get to it because I think they will sell out very very quickly i'd say they will too because that would be really fascinating actually yeah she's a fascinating person a fascinating person and the other ones we're also going to have our for patreons for patreons we are going to have our book club and september kicks off this week first week of september back to school john and the book we're going to be discussing is easy money cryptocurrency casino capitalism and the golden age of fraud by ben mckenzie with Jacob Silverman, a fantastic book about currencies, cryptocurrencies, fraud, all that good stuff. That is going to be our book of the month. And if you are interested in reading economics, and if you're interested in sharing your thoughts or my thoughts on this, you can join us at Patreon. That is exclusively for our Patreon subscribers. And if you want to join, it's patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. And we will discuss easy money. Cryptocurrency, casino capitalism, and the golden age of fraud. I, I have visions of you, Mac, out there in in Croatia, lolling back on your on your boat, <laughs> reading books, you know, in, with a little glass of rosé or something. But I hear there was a slight boating accident, and you ended up going around in circles. <laughs> metaphorically and literally. So I'm down in Croatia, right? I'm coming home next week. And about 10 years ago, I bought a little, because we're on an island, and I bought a little put-put boat, those little fishermen boats. I bought it off an alpha here, right? So the boat was built in a place called Korčula, which is an island in southern Croatia, which claims to be the birthplace of Marco Polo. Right? Oh, okay. Oh, be, that's but, but there are there that's are many there are many places that claim to be the birthplace of Marco Polo. In fact, many people say that Marco Polo actually made the whole thing up about China. It was somebody else's story. But that's a that's another that's for another day. <laughs> but, 
This boat made in Yugoslavia in the early 60s. So the boat is even older than you and me. Right. Like the Eska bike. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm, very, I'm very retro here. I'm very retro. I'm like a, I'm like a Bose fan. You know, they've all got yeah, all yeah, retro yeah. and bohemians, you know. They're, With the Bob Marley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I was out in it this morning and... The rudder is one of those things, it's kind of a stick coming out. So it's a really, real outlet. But... <laughs> it's all right. I know what a rudder is, yeah. <laughs> and I started to go left and it didn't go left. And I looked down and the rudder is broken. It's hanging off, right? And the worst <laughs> thing about it is, so I decided, okay, I'm out in the middle of the sea here. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Right? David McHemingway. And then as I look, exactly. Just call me Shackleton. The old man in the sea. <laughs> exactly. So... Then it breaks even further. It's an old, the wood is rotten, right? And it had right. rotted away. And I, of course, I hadn't realized it. No idea what's going on. No idea. Yeah. But then it broke, right? And it's all, and so I'm going around, literally, in circles, <laughs> right? Okay, around, around. Left turns a, only. <laughs> I have to phone a lad in the islands to come over and collect me. <laughs> Give me a rope and tow me in. I say, I say they were laughing their asses uh, off. They're laughing their whole, I mean, the basically, <laughs> and they, the down here they call me irats which means Irish. That's all they yeah, call yeah. it, Irats. And so they're sitting in the local cafe, looking at Irats going around the bay, around in circles. And of course, the local boat builder is just thinking, here we go. Irats yeah. needs to go. Open his hands going, well, hey. Yeah, 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 yeah. He says, that, you see that, that rudder? Oh, that'll cost you. That'll I'll cost have you a grand. <laughs> so I am literally going around in circles. I, this morning I was going around in circles. And luckily one of the lads was here, who uh, one of my neighbours, who could actually come out and get me. Otherwise, John, I would be there. Hemingway-esque. <laughs> like the that would have been kind of cool. We could have done the podcast from the boat. We could have done the podcast from the boat. You know? On the we high seas. The that would on, be the high, on the high seas, but you're absolutely right. So the local lads just were pissing themselves, as I've been told in, yeah. shamefully, head hanging low, shamefully. But all is good. All is good. Oh, that's all great. is good. So yeah, boats, trawlers, the whole thing. That's on my mind this morning. Uh, your fishing days are over, Mac. Actually, that's like, what, what was that, that great quote from Cantona? Oh, Eric Cantona. Yeah, what do you say? When the seagulls follow the trawler? It's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. And he was right. <laughs> he was right. That's like Mark Williams. That was his cryptic. <laughs> yeah, follow Mark Williams. <laughs> going around in the bleeding circle. But the interesting, Jonas, right, that quote from Cantona was in response to the obsession with the British media after Cantona had Kung Fu kicked the guy. That's at right. Crystal yeah. Ballast, right? Yeah, and yeah. He's yeah. like saying, I'm not going to talk to the media. Right? They're just waiting for sardines. Yeah, That's all they are. waiting all... for the scraps. Yeah, 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 yeah. And of course, the, this now, fascinating you mentioned Eric Cantona, because maybe the most interesting article I have read this week is in a left-wing paper. Now, you've got, you've got to always read the whole gamut, right and left, called A Brave New Europe, online paper, right? Right, okay. And it was an article written by Eric Cantona on what is the meaning of life, back to the seagulls, right? Okay. And it was written in 2018, so a while ago. Right. And for some bizarre reason, I stumbled across it this week. And it's really fascinating, Cantona. And it tells Cantona's own life story. And Eric Cantona's maternal grandfather mm. fought on the Republican side in the Spanish Civil War. And in 1939, they had to leave Spain very quickly because they would have been murdered by the national side. They were in Barcelona. Yeah. And they went over the Pyrenees. His grandfather's 28. His grandmother was 18. He was only going out with her. He knocked on her door and said, I've got to leave. Will you come with me? And she said, yes. And wow. they walked over the Pyrenees, right? 100,000 Spaniards, Spanish Republicans, 
walked over the Pyrenees to get away from Franco and his paternal maternal grandfather was one of them. That's the first interesting story. Second story is his paternal grandparents were from Sardinia and they were incredibly poor. So poor were they. And this is, he doesn't suggest that they actually lived in a cave in France when they came to France. Wow. It's an amazing, amazing story. Wow. Okay? They, they, they were just, they were so unbelievably poor. So what he's, he's talking about is immigration and he was saying, this is what immigrants do. Then his grandfather so fought in the Spanish Civil War, right? Yeah. His father fought for the French in the Second World War. His father became a psychiatric nurse. Why? Because his father's brother, also fought for the French in the Second World War, was captured by the Nazis, imprisoned for five years. And when he came home, he had lost his mind. And right. his father, imagine this, worked in a psychiatric ward, he was a psychiatric nurse, in order to look after his uncle. Wow. So it's an amazing story. You should read it. It's, it's called Brave yeah. New Europe. And basically, he became a mentor for a thing called Common Goal, which is a movement to try and urge football clubs and the football business to give 1% of their revenue to educate poor kids. Because he's saying, look, I came from nothing in Marseille. Wow. This is my background. Yeah. This is who we are. Football saved me, but equally, people always ask him, how does he play? Why did he play in a certain way? Mm. With that kind of arrogance and that shuffle and all that sort of stuff. And he says it's because of who I am, where I'm from. It's a fascinating article. You see, the thing about Cantona for me was, you know, I was never a huge football fan, as you know, but I always loved Cantona, but he always came across as this hugely arrogant thing. That's why I assumed that he was quintessentially Parisian. And he's, and he's not at all. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's half Spanish and half but, Italian. But the thing about Cantona that I really liked, I actually got to like him and got to know him a bit more after he got out of football, when he started getting into acting and writing and all that. He's actually quite a good actor, but he has that kind of thing about him that he's a presence, whether he it's on the pitch presence. or on the screen or whatever. I, I think he's a fascinating character. So this... This campaign, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's just, it's called Common Goal. Just Google it. Google it. It's really, really mm. interesting. And of course, you know, the Canton was always very, very uh, partial to quoting Plato and Socrates and all the greats. And this podcast today, John, is going to be on Plato and the Irish housing market. Okay. 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 <laughs> that sounds okay. good. Okay. It's going <laughs> Take to be me on, there, Mac. Take me there. It's going to be a two-part podcast. First part, very briefly, on nepotism in the Irish housing market. Number one. Okay. And the second half, we're going to talk to a great, great economics commentator called Sean Keyes about something that I know is really, really gets on your goat, which is why Ireland and the English speaking countries in general cannot deliver infrastructure on time and on budget. And this is hugely important now because Ireland is about to embark on the biggest infrastructural build ever as yeah. the population rise. So it took Sean a couple of minutes, but Plato and the Irish housing market. Yeah. So Plato writes this book called Republic. And in that, he sets out all his views on the Greek democracy, the Greek Republic. It's amazing when you think about it. You know, 400 odd years before Christ, he's writing about democracy. Mm. But he takes aim at nepotism and the hereditary passing down of wealth. And he says that a proper republic should ban or outlaw nepotism and inheritance and legacies and heirlooms because ultimately they make the democracy unequal, right? Yeah. But interestingly, even the great sage of Athens said, he put a little caveat in his, if we can do this, right? Knowing that this is a huge human urge, right? To pass things yes. on to your family, 
right? Of course and this it is. is yeah. Because the family unit is still the most outstandingly successful organizational unit of humanity. But even from the most basic biological level, it's all, you know, to quote Richard Dawkins, it's all about the selfish gene. Yeah. And you pass on your, your genes down the bloodline, et cetera, et cetera. So, we, John, we have the selfless gene. The selfless <laughs> gene. <laughs> only if, only yeah, if. The generous gene, the charitable gene, <laughs> the half-decent gene. But the, it's that idea, John, you know, that the family unit, so like, for example, you became obsessed with succession. Why? Because it's about mm. families. And even though you can't relate to the wealth, you can relate to the characters and the dynamics yes. and yeah, all yeah, that yeah, sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But what I want to talk about briefly is nepotism in the Irish housing market. And the reason is the following. Have you ever heard the expression of a nepo baby, John? Go on, tell me. So this is a this is a phenomenon that kind of was on the internet about a year ago, has burst into the mainstream after a couple of articles in the New York magazine on the nepo sphere, right? And what it's about okay. is how, particularly in the world of entertainment and Hollywood, yeah. how rich and famous people spawn rich and famous people. So the children of rich and famous people in America are increasingly becoming to, not to dominate, but increasingly getting gigs in Hollywood, right? Right, So okay. sons and daughters of actors and actresses and producers and directors. Right? And that was called Nepo Babies, right? So the nepotism, the babies of nepotism. Mm. But it's not just related to Hollywood because what is happening now in Ireland, as house prices keep going up and up and up and rents keep going up and up and up, mm. it is becoming increasingly the case that 42% of all first-time buyers are first-time buyers because their parents have paid their deposit or the legal fees or given them a big whack of money. And yeah. what it means is that the housing market is turning into a two-tier housing market in Ireland. Mm. So you have the kids of wealthy people getting on the ladder, but you have the kids of poor people not being able to do that, no matter how hard they work, because the amount of money a young person needs to save now is so phenomenal. Right. Think about it. The median house price in Ireland, which is not the average, it's the house price right in the middle. Right in the middle, yeah. One with, you know, basically 49%, one side 49%, the other side, mm. is 280 grand. CSO figures show that 45% of first-time buyers aged between 25 and 34 received financial assistance from their mother and father, right? Mm. And Bank of Ireland substantiate that in Bank of Ireland's mortgages, just 32% of first-time buyers got financial help, right? And the reason is, is because young people cannot afford that. Wages are not high enough. And at a three and a half times income, your income has to be phenomenal, i.e. around 70 odd plus grand yeah. to be able to even get a look in in the door. Yeah. So obviously what is happening now in Ireland is a huge amount of the electorate citizens, about 60% of first-time buyers whose parents are not rich, are actually being priced out of the market. And they then go into the rental market. And Daft.ie said that 41% of renters rely on parents' support. So rich parents are not just distorting the housing market and the buying side, but they're also distorting the rental side as well. So this kind of moved on from kind of who you know, not what you know, to exactly. what you have. What you have and who your dad knows. Yes. And who your mum knows. Yeah. Look, this is not unusual. You remember in the old days it was called pull. Uh, your man has pull. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I used to love that expression. I used to pull love a few it. strings. Some for a yank and some rope around, yeah. right? 
but it was pulling a few strings. So this is totally normal human behavior. As you said, even Plato was befuddled by it. You know, families are the unit, people protect them. But for society, what is happening is increasingly the kids of wealthy people who used to wait until their parents died in order to get that legacy, right? They are now getting that legacy very, very early. And this, of course, is then reinforcing the idea that the housing market is only for the very rich. Now, what the problem for that is, well, it's self-evident. Socially, Mm. these problems are huge. But also, whether you like it or not, and I don't like it, as, as you know, housing has become the asset of choice of Irish people to store their wealth. Yeah. So what is happening, therefore, is wealth inequality is getting considerably worse as a result of the housing market and these nepo, what I call them, nepo buyers, not nepo babies. So, John, the, the problem with the nepo babies, well, it's self-evident that it's pricing out 60% of Irish people who don't have rich parents, who aren't yeah. getting a leg up. Now, those people need to live somewhere because our population, as you know, is rising really dramatically. And not only do we have to build houses on a large scale, but we have to build infrastructure on a large scale, bridges, roads, railways, yeah. metros, everything on a large scale. Service our growing population. Exactly. Because yeah. we can't just stand still. Yeah. So all of this are problems of growth. These are all problems of growing pains. And if we can't build at a reasonable price, at a reasonable rate, the economy is going to grind to a halt. And our next guest, after the break, John, we're going to talk to Sean Keyes of The Currency about who builds better, who builds cheaper, and how we might build things cheaper in this country. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So John, our next guest is somebody who makes me jealous because he is writing <laughs> economics in the, we were talking about charitable and generous and that gene, the jealous gene, John, the jealous yes, gene. Yes, the jealous gene. No, to Richard Dawkins, you need Rus- to write a book on exactly, the jealous gene. Exactly, the jealous gene, right? I'm jealous of Sean Keyes because he writes so well in economics. He writes in the currency, always fascinating articles. He's on the line. It's his maiden voyage. 
Speaking of voyages going around in circles, it's his maiden voyage on the podcast. And let's go and talk to Sean Keys. Sean, how are you? And welcome to the show. Well, I feel I feel very good after that. Um, thanks for having me, David. <laughs> well, you know, it's always you know, flattery gets you everywhere in, in you know in Ireland. <laughs> flattery. No, listen, just seriously, the, the the articles are great. They're wonderful, incredibly well researched, incredibly accurate, and 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 you know a real grasp of the big issues. And one of the, of course, the big issues that we've been on the podcast the last couple of weeks is this notion of what I call the ten million mindset, which is that in the course of the next century, the Irish population on the island is probably going to hit around 10 million, okay, on present trends. And in order to accommodate that sort of problem, in order to fix that sort of problem, in order to deal with that sort of population, we need to build, 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 which we are not good at. And recently, Sean, you've written two really interesting pieces on one is who builds mega projects properly, that's like metros, railways, etc. And the second thing is, 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 is an idea of changing our planning laws, which is also a bottleneck. So let's kick off with the idea of the if Ireland, for example, uh, BMI bonnet is always moving the port to somewhere else and liberating that land there and, and changing the whole face of Dublin, building a new city, right? Other countries do these sort of things, building a metro, building, you know, we know that we know the ongoing nonsense about building metros in Ireland and building rail networks in Ireland. Tell me what, what it looks like from your position and tell me what you see or who is doing these things better than us or better than anybody else. Well, Starting with, there's, there's a great bit of work done, which I lean very heavily on. If, you, if you've been reading my stuff lately, you'll, you'll know it. These um, couple of, they're not economists, they're transport experts. And there's one of them is a mathematician. They're kind of a diverse group. And they spent five years just pulling at the thread of like, how much does it cost to build metros? They had a, an intuition, I think, a strong intuition that it costs too much in New York, where they live in the U.S., they really want to get to the bottom of it. So they spent a long time looking at it and they tried to look at every single metro line going back sort of decade, 50, 60 years. So they went like, there'd be dozens of projects per city. And there was, there was some number of, I think over 900 separate lines. So anyway, wow. got this big, okay. the point is they've got the big database yeah. and they were trying to tease apart. Firstly, what's the cost per kilometer just to get to see if their intuition was right. And then they're trying to tease apart what was causing it. And the first thing that was that's really striking from it is that there's a sort of more than 10x difference between the most expensive kilometers of metro line and the least expensive. Wow. And that's surprising, right? And you're that's like- That's huge. That's absolutely huge. Enormous. Because you're talking enormous. about an engineering project and, and the engineering should be sort of fo- heading towards the mean. You know, like construction costs should, you know, with a couple of little variations, should be more or less the same everywhere else. Exactly. And, 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 and it's, it's good for an apples to apples comparison across countries because, you know, a kilometer tunnel and a platform is, you know, comparable and it's apples for apples. So you see this and you think, okay, well, that must be, I'm thinking like it must be, you know, Manila and um, Mumbai, these places, they're doing it cheaply. And, um, you know, Stockholm, let's say is expensive. But when you look at it on a scatter plot, there's zero correlation between the income of the country and the cost of building it. So it's okay, not about cheap labor or anything anything to do with that it's it's just as likely to be expensive in a in an underdeveloped country as a developed country so there's something else going on so when you look at the, the countries that are doing it best they're the ones that are doing it at 10 percent the cost of the most expensive ones where are they they're spain portugal italy going up a little bit you've got sweden and you know, especially Sweden. You know, so these Spain, are expensive Portugal, countries. Spain, Portugal, and Italy, because we've 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 already done a couple of uh, tours. We've been in Portugal last week. We were in Spain the other the other week. We've been in Italy. So they're the cheapest. The, the Latin they're countries the, in Europe are the cheapest. 
they're the most efficient sub-metro builders by far. And I, I mean, if you- In if the you world, visit, in the in world. In the world, in the world. And if, and if you visit these countries, it wouldn't be a surprise to you. You know, when you go to, when an Irish person goes to Spain, there's always this sort of a slight shock at the quality of the public realm, isn't there? You know, you, yeah, walk, absolutely. you feel, you feel the, yeah. the beautiful stone under your feet and you go down to the sleek subways. You're like, we've missed a trick here somewhere. Anyway, so that's, the, that's at the bottom end. And then at the top end, it's New York, it's the US in general. It's, it's basically the English speaking countries. It's, it's Crossrail, UK, New Zealand, Singapore, Hong Kong. So they're kind of geographically diverse places, but they're all Anglo kind of cultural world. So you've got 10x difference between the Anglos and the, the, and the, the Spaniards. The Spaniards, what's going on? There's quite a bit to it, but the real meta one, the high level one is going up to say the 80s, we all used to build our stuff in the same way. And what it was, was the Department of Transport in, you know, the US or in New York or in, in Spain would take on the project themselves and they'd have yeah. career engineers, they'd have career project managers. And those guys, they were seasoned, they knew what they were doing and they had total responsibility for the project. The state wouldn't do everything itself. You know, the state isn't going to be out exactly digging the trenches, but it, at the core of the project is is a, a state manager. A state manager, exactly, with responsibility and with enough technical know-how to know when he's being gouged. So fascinating. So so what you're saying is that having a project manager who has the purse strings and is answerable to the state and to the Department of Transport matters enormously. Matters enormously. And what they find is, you know, once you have that element, the, the details matter less. There's, you know, there's sort of, there's a bit of debate over whether you have public-private partnerships, design build, design bid build, there are these different models for it. It seems like once you've got that core principle of in-house technical expertise at the state, you can do it a couple of different ways and it's yeah. still quite economical. But if you don't have that piece, it doesn't work. And it's it's not exactly that the consultants, you know, I call them garages there, that's probably unfair. It's not exactly that. No, nah, that's grand. We've called people a lot worse than this one. Don't worry. No, but, but you are right. I mean, they're, they are they are taking ultimately the taxpayer for a ride. Well, that's what's happening. So like they, 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 they're very close to the, 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 there's a new subway line in New York. So they are kind of all over that. And that's, that's like, that's the most expensive line ever built. I think it was Crossrail might even be more expensive, but at the, the one time, in the UK. Yeah. In London, but what the, the, the fifth Avenue one in New York, so they, they describe it. And when, when you don't have the in-house expertise, you have to rely on consultants. You bring the consultants to fill in the gap and help you organize a project. And the consultants like, they just don't have an incentive to really manage costs. And what the way they describe it is, it's, it's this sort of accretion of small things that all multiply upon each other yeah. and another. And by the end, you know, let's say the fact, if, if, if the labor is a bit less efficiently organized, if it adds 50% of the cost, that's multiplied by everything that's below it. So yeah. everything, all the layers of inefficiency multiplying each other to get you that 10x thing. So like, so going back to New York and the consultants, like they, they might suggest, oh, for this uh, subway stop, it would be good if we had an extra 20 meters longer because that would allow us a nicer elevator at that end, let's say. And unless you have a seasoned official who knows about rail and knows about construction, say, nah, 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 elevators yeah. are nice, but it's not worth $200 million. We're not doing that. It's all these little design add-ons, gold, gold plating of it gets added onto it. Explain this to me. So you say in the 1980s, we were all more or less the same. What has happened in countries like Ireland because Irish people are, I think, shocked every time there's an overrun 
on these big mega projects. The Children's Hospital has been a very good example, right? But we're, we're about to build metros and, we, and we, we know the overruns of that. What has happened in Ireland, Britain, US since the 80s that has changed the game? What have we done wrong? Well, my guess is like ideology. After the 80s, what happened? It was this big movement in lots of realms, the state stepped back and the private sector was invited in to offer its expertise and its capital and la, 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 la. And in lots of ways, that was a useful, I think, to do in lots of realms. Like I think what happened is that they, they overreached or they overstepped and that this urge to offload responsibility from the state on the sure. sector no, in lots of domains, it's a good idea in not every domain. I think in this domain, it was a bad idea. Well, it's, it's funny, I've not been watching the former lead singer of the Undertones, Fergal Sharkey's yes. campaign in the UK. And it's a fascinating campaign about yeah. water and water treatment. And it, it goes to the very core of what you're saying here, which is that in certain areas, privatization was probably a good idea. But the end result has been the wholesale abandonment of any cost control for the consumer and are the citizen, depending if it's the consumer or if it's, it's actually the taxpayer. And what you're saying is the Spaniards, the Italians, Portuguese did not go down that road. That's right. And the fruits of that are much lower costs. That's right. And I've heard it in, in the context as well of UK defence spending. The MOD used to have a reputation. It used to work hand in glove with military contractors, but it used to have a reputation of being like a real, what they call an intelligent buyer. It knew what it was doing. It could manage projects and do what I was talking about in terms of saying no at the right time. But that experience has been has washed away and, and projects are getting more and more expensive and with less and less value. So Sean, let's let's look let's look back home, right? We are about to embark on the biggest infrastructural spending, and I think very necessary spending, uh, that the state has ever engaged in, ever, 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 over the course of the next 10, 15 years. Absent of the competence at the core of the Department of Transport. And as you said, this the intelligent buyer, a person, a number of people saying, no, nah, we're not doing that. I know what the cost is, et cetera. What is the implication for this rollout of infrastructural development in Ireland? Because our projects are madly expensive. Actually, just well, give me an example of, of how Irish projects compare to, let's say, Portuguese or Spanish, if you have in the top of your head, Italian. Um, well, the, yeah, look, I think the first thing to say is, what we're talking about here, it applies most to these mega projects, the kind of one-off projects. You're not yeah. going to do it again. It's say, let's say the opposite end of the spectrum for, for a state investment might be like a school where mm-hmm. it's repeated, they cookie cutter, they do it over and over again. They actually, I think the Irish state actually is quite efficient at building schools. And there's lots of ways that the state can and is good at this, but it's the children's hospitals, it's the Metro, the DART, the DART interconnector, whatever that, when it was planned, all these one-off things, which are, you know, important to get right. They tend to be very important. To answer your question about, about cost, I mean, that Metrolink North is currently forecast to cost, I think, 500 million per kilometer. About three quarters of it is tunnels. So there's, that's the more expensive part. Yeah. But that's before a shovel hits the ground. Like it's very likely to go above that. And I would say it's, you know, you pick, pick your number, but it's something yeah. like double that might, might, might be a reasonable final cost estimate in, in 10 or 15 years time when the thing is done. And that will be 10x Madrid or 10x so the, Porto. So the Spaniards and the Portuguese are building tunnels, a kilometre of underground for 500 million. No, sorry, they're building it for 100. We are likely to build it for about a billion. Oh my God. That's extraordinary. So why don't we just go to Portugal, as we did last week, talk to Pedro, and we say, (laughs) 
can we have your people who do this manage our project? And we will second them to the Irish state and we'll pay them extremely well for their expertise. And they'll sit here for the next five years and they'll manage the whole thing. Absolutely. Something like that. I mean, I tried to think of a good institution that w- would be a good comparator. Milan is a it's a sort of sort of like for like. It's around the same size as Ireland in terms of population and GDP. And it's got this brilliant uh, metro system and it's got this brilliant institution called the Metropolitano Milanese. And it's it's this sort of quasi-autonomous body that's doing yeah. what you're talking about. It's, it's like Ireland's NTMA. It stands aside from the civil service. It has its own culture, its own um, incentives, and it's a, it's a real engineering organization. And it started out just building the subway lines, and it was so good at what it did that the, that the Milanese government invited it in to do the water and to do social housing retrofits and a whole bunch of other things. So this so, is like a, a bespoke infrastructural company that builds everything. And builds it on time. And it's a real company. It's, you know, they, they, they export their expertise to Saudi Arabia and to other, other, other Italian cities. And uh, they just have a special deal with the, with the Milanese government where they get a bit of a, bit of a discount on it because the government owns it. It's yeah. 100%. So, I mean, we might be about to get out of my expertise here. I don't, I, I suspect. Don't worry about it, Sean. We get out of our expertise all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know how quickly you can build this amazing institution that they, you know, the, the Italian one has got, you know, 70 years old, it's got 1300 employees, you know, you can imagine it takes a long time to build up that expertise, but you know, bit by bit, you know, we, we're, we are definitely going to be investing a lot every year. We are definitely going to be taking on more and more mega projects. Our population, touch wood, is going to keep growing. That's so let's start on something, you know, and maybe we won't be ready for the big time instantly, but in, in 10 years, maybe we will be. So just before you go, Sean, right, there's always the qui bono question. Who benefits from a leaky public infrastructure buyer? Because like all these things, you've got to say, if the Italians are building this 10 times cheaper, if they've constructed their own engineering, as you say, almost parallel company, which is a state company, but not really a state company, it's got its own mandate. And it is trusted by the Milanese state. And as you said, Greater Milan, probably the same population as the whole of Ireland, right? So that's the right way to do it. Who is benefiting from the approach that the Irish state is taking. And of course, what we're doing is we're talking about people's money here at the end of the day. I think, well, you know, the answer obviously is is those who are currently building it. But I think that there's something in this that Irish policy in Ireland, it can be a bit introspective. And if we want to reform Irish healthcare, Irish capital spending, Irish housing, whatever it is, the way we do it is we just talk to the Irish guys who do that currently. And we say, well, what do you think we should do? And they say, well, there's some improvements I can suggest here. But like, there, but there's never an idea that, okay, let's look at best practice internationally. Let's see if that maps onto what we do here at all. And I think when, when you don't look outwards, you're only going to get these small incremental improvements. You, you'll miss any sort of big paradigm, paradigmatic, is that even a word? Anyway, you, you'll miss those well, fundamental you, changes. You, the funniest thing is you will now hear me using paradigmatic for the next uh, six weeks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sick of the whole oh yeah, for sure. Oh, geez, that's paradigmatic, the paradigm shifting, paradigm yeah. shifting. But I, I know what you mean because, because this goes, I mean, because, you know, I think the most of us, and again, looking at these mega projects, knowing they have to be done, looking at the cost overruns, looking at the constant, you know, headlines, and then there's an Oireachtas committee or a British parliamentary committee, and uh, and the MPs or the RTDs are, are kind of looking at gas. And of course, those lads don't have the competence. So mm. if you say 10 million or 12 million, 
TD ain't going to know mm. what the difference is. They'll sound as if they know what they're talking about. We yeah. know what they don't talk about. That's fair enough, right? But what you're saying is there is an almost inevitability about a waste of money unless we actually shift the paradigm. And and what, what countries did I say did this? They were as diverse as Singapore, Hong Kong, New Zealand, Australia, and obviously the UK and, and the US. I, I said Ireland was an insular we are a bit, but like, I can't blame this all on insularity. It's a yeah. whole Anglo thing. It's like, it, I think it's sort of like the blind leading the blind. You know, we look to the US to be our kind of leader. And in in, in many ways, that's a good idea. They're good at a lot of stuff. Yeah. And the UK as well, but not on this. We should be looking, yeah. we should be learning a foreign language, getting the Dutch guy in, getting the Swedish guy in. Are, are the Spaniards. And one last thing, what's very interesting here is that Ireland has sort of assiduously over the last 30 years we're talking about, avoided, at least in branding, that sort of classic neoliberal British approach, which we're going to privatise everything. So we don't privatise that very much in Ireland, right? So what's very bizarre is we kind of end up, which is the weirdest thing, we end up with the inefficiencies of a privatised culture without actually ever admitting that we're doing it. Whereas at least the Brits and the Yanks say, this is the way we're going. The Kiwis changed their civil service in the 1980s, an extraordinary change. It was called Ruthanasia, by the way, because (laughs) the finance minister was a woman called Ruth. The second day will come back to me. And it was called Ruthanasia. But I mean, they went, this is what we're doing. Whereas we've had almost, almost like a Schlieveen approach, but we get to the same place, which is almost worse because the voters haven't really voted for that. But what, what I'm what I'm hopeful about though is I think Irish people have let's say I was going to say deferential but they have a lot of time let's say for Europe and for European governance, yes. And I think that Irish people could be easily persuaded that we might have something to learn from Swedes and and Spanish and Italians. I, I like that. I like that persuasion approach. Yeah, go on. Yeah, you know, my hope is that we would be pushing on an open door. I think, as I said, like Irish people go to Spain. They understand. They understand that Spain isn't isn't necessarily a super rich country. You know, like. It's that's kind of clear too, but there's this weird thing where they're like the yeah. inverse of us. They've got l- very low wages, but like super public realm. And I think our, everybody in our Ireland who's been there will understand that there's something there that we don't. You're have. absolutely that that we don't have. No, it's it's true. I was in Naples a couple of years ago, and Naples, you know, comes with all the the caveats about Naples, right? The metro stations in Naples are a work of art. They're absolutely beautiful. There's these incredible, incredible art. They're incredibly clean. They're incredibly efficient. And as you said, you have this, you know, the brand of Naples, the image of Naples, and yet in the public realm, Mm. they do things amazingly well. I believe that one was one of um, Metropolitano Milanese's. They they at least consulted on it. I know that um, they they do work with the city of Naples as well. And as anyone knows a bit about Italy, if the Napolese can engage the Milanese that is quite an achievement because <laughs> you think the AC Milan versus Napoli, if you think of the regional differences in it, right, they can't stand each other, right? And they really, really can't stand each other. But it's, it's that idea that, you know, we're going for best practice. Sean, this has been a little bit depressing, I would say, John, wouldn't you? You know, when you actually I, look at it, because this, this gets John, John is down in a booze. banging the table down in a second. Banging the table. John is comments on a Friday night. He will now be saying, do you know about Milan? I'll tell you about <laughs> Milan. But listen, as I was saying, if you haven't read Sean's stuff in the currency, have a read of it every week. Fascinating, great ideas and always germane to the national conversation. Always on on, on the button. And as I said, you know, there's a, there's a you know, it's that... Uh, Every time I read it, I'm like, mm, okay, you better, better up your game now, McWilliams. This, this, this young fellow's arriving and he's got all sorts of good ideas. But this is Joe, it's great to have you on the show. 
Thank you so much, David. Very kind. Interesting though, Mac, a couple of weeks ago, the Leaving Cert results came out. Yes, they did. You know the way a lot of courses and degrees, they're kind of fashionable and they go in trends. Yes, they do. Yeah. Well, the big trend at the moment, apart from economics, is is engineering. Engineering has been the big growing degree course that people are, are going for, which can only be a good thing. Which can only be a good thing because, you know, if you heard the, the Milanese example there, Sean was talking about the Spanish exactly. example, it's engineering. And Joe Haslam was talking to us about engineering exactly. in the past. And do you remember, and I will conclude this, remember cathedral thinking? Remember that idea of yeah. building stuff for people who are yet to be born? Building stuff for the long term. How do you think long term in an endemically short term world? You have to adopt this cathedral thinking idea. And I think we'll leave it here. Unless the Irish state adopts a cathedral thinking attitude to public infrastructure, protecting the taxpayers' money, as well as delivering houses, bridges, metros, schools, hospitals, everything. Yeah. This country will grind to a halt. And is it any wonder, against the background of Nepo babies, that young people want a radical solution? Is it any wonder? Why wouldn't they? 